Kia ora, Ferg here. Welcome to Season 4 of the Head Shepherd Podcast. Head Shepherd is brought to you by the team at NextGen Agri. Both NextGen Agri and the Head Shepherd Podcast are focused on the business of livestock farming. My passion is livestock genetics, but I'm pretty keen on all aspects of livestock farming, and that is reflected by the great guests that we've had on so far and will have this season. Many thanks to all of you for listening. I really do love playing a small part in your weekly routine. A massive thanks to Allflex, who are again sponsoring this season. From tags to TSUs to sensors, Allflex have a great range of products that are always evolving with the farmer in mind, and the service is second to none. Welcome back to Head Shepherd. Uh, really excited this week to have uh, Richard Lowe on on our podcast. Welcome, Richard. Yeah, thanks for having us. Uh, going out both sides of the Tasman, I don't know how the other side will feel about this sometimes. No, exactly. It could get interesting, and uh, we're actually pretty lucky to be in your in your normal recording studio today so this is about as fancy as we've ever got for for head shepherd but uh great to have some good facilities yeah i thought the opportunity we come in and uh we'll probably talk about that in a minute but come in every friday to record our program for the weekend and it was uh we might as well do it where the big mics are yeah no this is a bit better than yeah if you saw where i normally record it's quite (laughs) different to this one but anyway thought we might uh, just start with a bit of your history i guess obviously people will know you from your rugby career but i guess before that uh you're now involved in farming and and Mm. media stuff like this but uh i guess tell us a bit of the history of one lowey yeah well i i grew up on a farm my father was a farm manager um stayed on the same property ever basically for 25, 30 years, I think it was. Uh, sheep and beef farm up in North Canterbury there. Got sent away to school. Uh, got told to leave school. Uh, <laughs> Asked or started told. playing senior <laughs> rugby when I was, uh, what was it, 17 going on 18. And progressed through the ranks from there. Yeah, right, eh? So sheep and beef farming up there? or Yeah, on the banks of the Huronu, a place called uh, Greta Paddocks. It was ran... What three or four thousand, uh, or about three thousand ewes, I think it was, and probably uh, hundred, hundred and fifty cows, and a bit of cropping. Yeah, right. Yeah, cool. So then, yeah, I guess, and then rugby took up the next decade or so. Or? Yeah, I, I left school as I said. Um, got told I probably should find something else to do rather than just uh, <laughs> play rugby at school, um, and. Then I uh, left school and, of all things, became a stock agent, which I really loved and enjoyed until rugby really set in, in the, uh, when I was probably 23, 24. And I started, yeah, you started playing a higher grade there and then you get noticed in those days overseas and I sp- had a stint or, or a few off-seasons, as we call them back then, uh, in France and uh, just went backs and forwards and played rugby for about, dare I say, a decade and a half. <laughs> yeah, right, eh? Fifteen years, and uh, yeah, back in the back in the tough days too. The uh, so, how many representative games for for NZ in the All Blacks? Uh, I had forty nine tests, and I think it was getting up near eighty odd games. But it's quite interesting when you talk about what what a test was or what a test is today. Um, I can remember I just uh, talked to my son the other weekend, and we played Japan like three or four times, and those first few games weren't considered test matches so you didn't get test match they went as games and the only one we did was uh 95 uh when we thrashed in Bloemfontein during a world cup so you know things have changed and those days we we used to laugh about it I think um 
Sean Fitzpatrick, myself, and Steve McDowell who had something like, I think it was 38 test matches as a front row together without being subbed on or off anyone. So, you know, the game's changed completely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So what's, I guess, that's a that's a pretty solid career. What was What's the highlights? Or is there several? Or is there one that sort of really sticks out? Yeah, w- when I retired, um, I sort of phoned my mother and told her what I'd done, and she said, oh, are you? And then she went back and had a look at a diary or two and said, uh, so I should. Uh, I had 20 years of playing senior rugby, which is huge in a lot of ways. Um, what was my highlight? Uh, of course, when you're at school, it's getting in the first 15. Then when you made the senior ranks, it's getting selected for the senior team, and it just progresses. Yeah, your first all-black game is huge. Yeah. Um, but, I, you know, I, you think back and... Then you try to divide it up. Every time you put on a black jersey, for example, it's a, you know, it's an achievement. And I think uh, to win that achievement is great. Probably yep. losing, you try to forget those ones. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, fair enough. I guess the All Blacks is a massive brand, a, an international brand, and like such a dominant force in the world of rugby. What is it about about Kiwis and rugby and and the All Blacks that sort of all come together? It's a small, very small nation in the world compared to the, the people that the All Blacks compete against, yet are always competitive, if yeah. not dominant. If you go back historically, uh, the people were off the land, they worked, they played. And even during my era, we all held down jobs, basically. And if you've got the uh, nous to hold down a full-time job and play at that level, you seem to be a certain type of character. You know, yeah. As we see it now, and it doesn't matter whether it's the 13-man code or the 15-man code, some of those people without the sport would be, I don't know where they'd be. Um, we we were told the jersey's only yours for this game. You know, yeah. you don't own the jersey, you earn the right. Every time you go out, you earn the right to, uh, to have it next week or the next game. And so, to be honest, at the end of my career when subbing came on, that, that didn't go down too good. <laughs> you know, yeah, the beauty was to be on the field and stay on the field for the 80 minutes. Yeah. And, you know, subbing came in and they subbed the opposition prop off. Then you just had a grin. You know, you, the next one you're getting was second best, so you did the same <laughs> to what you'd done to the last one. And I suppose that the grittiness, the hardiness of Kiwis in general and I don't think we see it as much today because of the way the game has changed. And, you know, it's it's changed. You can't compare errors. Mm, no, no, fair enough. Mm. Awesome. So, yeah, a great rugby career. And then since then, what's what's Richard Loeb been up to? Yeah, well, during my rugby career when I was a young stock agent, um, I bought shares in my first block of land, which was a fairly rough little pl- uh, bit up in Marlborough on the bank uh, on the coast of uh, as at Ward. There, um, that was well, I cut my teeth in that sort of thing, and then when I went up to Waikato, I moved up there for rugby reasons slash a wee bit of stock agent job, but didn't last long. One year up there before I I call myself back in those days because it was am- amateur, it was a rugby prostitute I had a little 50 acre block up there which was my base and then when I moved back to Canterbury um, I bought sold that, bought another uh, place down here and I've been farming um, tried everything from uh, leasing to owning um, had a reasonably 
a couple of big lease blocks and traded a lot of lambs and grew a lot of crop for dairy farmers. But I suppose when it comes down to it, uh, I enjoy breeding stock and seeing the finished product. Yeah, cool. So some Doonies or Dooney Merinos and and some Santa Gertrude's cows. What else yeah. we got out there these days? The, the Doonies was a bit of a hard case at the end of my rugby career of uh, a good mate now, uh, Stu Hodson, works for um, Wolves of Australia. And he um, said to me, he, I met him when he was a liaison officer uh, for the Australians, uh, for the Kiwis over in Australia. And he said, have you ever seen these? And I said, no. How do you think they're going to New Zealand? I shrugged my shoulders. So he helped organise uh, the first shipment of 20-odd ewes over. Yeah, right. And as, you know, I didn't know we had them, uh, had all sorts of problems right from wall to feet to everything, but the ram that was sent over um, was a damn good ram, got good results and gone through it. And, you know, uh, a dual-purpose sheep, probably uh, what everyone's trying to breed these days, something that clips a decent fleece, has a decent, decent carcass and a decent lambing percentage, and they seem to be going quite well. So you breed a few rams, so where do they head out to? Yeah, for a starter it was two type half-bred type people, then a few merino people tried them. And now, after I think it's nearly 20 years of selling rams, I've had people buying rams for that long. And they've gone up most gullies, uh, you know, the Rangatata Gorge, uh, uh, to, to right through the Mackenzie. You know, they've all tried them and done quite well. Those ones that... Have uh, used them, have sworn by them, uh, even down as far as uh, northern Southland. They've been down there and stood up with those climates. So it just proves that finer type of wool between 18 and 23, I believe, can be grown on the right ground right through the country. Yeah, I guess that's a bit of a passion that we share mm. and a bit of interest that we share in trying to get those, yeah, get the the things that don't suit out of them and get and get that good better higher higher valuable wool mm. into into the, the New Zealand industry obviously we've got a big big run on for shedding sheep at the moment and but there is there has been a bit of a run for for farmer for the last mm. last few years and I've sort of oh, keep starting you either have good wool or none of it <laughs> well I, I heard your podcast you, you said that and uh just a a week or so ago, um, just after I'd listened to that podcast, I uh, was talking to a chap. He's gone all shedders, as he calls them. Yeah. And other people have got other names for them. But uh, he said, look, they produce one one lamb and eat weeds. And a chap with us said, you might as well have goats. And he said, oh, they don't jump fences like goats. And I said, any other pluses? <laughs> and it was, you know, the type of sheep I've got, the Dooney, uh, it scanned this last year, scanned just on 170. I I regularly wean something around that mid 150s to 160. So survival's very good. Uh, they grow a good lamb. And guess what? At shearing time, you've got a valuable product to sell. And, you know, I don't care what you say, you know, smart wool, icebreaker, devolved. They all service us very well, and why not have an animal that you can, you know, if you're clipping uh, four kilos of hoggett wool at $20 clean, it's better than a shedder. Yeah, and I guess we probably, yeah, it'd be high risk to get into that considering what I do for business, but yeah, the, um, but yeah no, there's certainly, yeah, I've got a big passion for, for farm wool, and that's the main reason I moved to New Zealand really was to help help establish that a bit into the non-traditional merino areas. Mm. I guess we've got... 
a country where you can shove merinos on the sort of east coast of the Alps and or east side of the Alps, and um, but there's plenty of other areas that we can get mm. fine wool sheep into mm. with, with the right genetics. A little bit of an interest in the obscure. You've got Santa Gertrude's cows as well. What's what's the go with the Santas? That was called accidental. <laughs> um, years and years ago, uh, going back probably a good decade plus, uh, I was up north for some reason and I was talking to this um, Santa breeder and they said, have you ever tried one of those? And I said, why would I? I've got, I can get a bull for my cows anywhere and what if we got one for you landed at your place for the same price as you paid for one locally and I said okay (laughs) after two beers I agreed and um, it arrived and the Santa uh, and at that time I had Hereford Frisian and Angus Frisian uh, uh, mother on calves I nursed cows and I put these Santa bulls the Santa bull across them and the calves were spectacular Spectacular, and uh, so I've you know if there's a case, and I was just rearing them and selling them direct to the works at eighteen month old, and they went very well. And then about or four or five years ago, a couple of small breeders wanted to get out of them, so I got a phone call. I ended up by by three different little herds, about seventy or eighty different uh, cows arrived. I've gotten down. Believe it or not, thirty-five now, and I've got some very good heifers coming on. So you know, it's it's just something different. Yeah. They do well in the dry, and I'm dryland farming, so hey, it's a fit. Yep, you're normally dryland, but did I hear three hundred mils the other day? Three hundred and fifty mils <laughs> in two or three days. Yeah, the big rain that ran off. Uh, well, I don't think it ran off because we've been that bloody dry. It soaked it in, but um, yeah, around sort of central Canterbury, they got hammered. Yeah, she's very wet. Yeah, indeed. Been uh, for various bits and pieces. Been involved with the media. The radio. Tell us a bit about the radio show that you publish every every weekend. Yeah, that 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 started. Hell, when was it? Probably fifteen odd years ago. Now um, I was on a actually uh, supporters tour over in France. Believe it or not, watching rugby, and uh, a chap from MediaWorks approached me and said, "Did I or would I consider?" And I think most people know my uh, run-ins with uh, the media during my playing days. <laughs> I said no and went away. They approached me again, no, go away. And it was took a few months and then they said, look, if you did it, this is what we'd be prepared. Oh, that buy a few boxes of beer, wouldn't it? And so I gave it a go. It was very daunting. And if people have never done it before, you know, they the first day they made me read the weather. <laughs> That's hard work. <laughs> and then of all, the station we're on had um, the race scratchings to read. <laughs> and those people that have bloody racehorses named the peculiar names. <laughs> and you just – anyway, that's where my start. And we had a show um, for a while. Uh, we had one year off when MediaWorks decided um, – their CEO decided we didn't need sport or rural. So they gave us the chop, and as soon as he got the chop, they reinvented it, uh, what, Rural Today and uh, Rural Exchange. And Hamish Mackay, an ex-rugby um, uh, caller, and I front the program uh, each week, and it's going from strength to strength. It's really good. It's only, for us, really, it's only one day a week. Uh, we come in, we do four hours of recording, and we, our aim is to help farmers farm better. If we can get the good word, it's no 
no uh, shock jock. It's getting the message out there, and if people got something to get out there, we assist them. Cool. So what time does that air? That's early mornings on the weekend. Six to, six to eight uh, on Saturday and Sunday, but uh, it's all also goes out as um, on Rover. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you basically pick it up as a podcast and can listen to it any time. And um, which these days, as you know, um, if you have a set time, it doesn't suit everyone. Yeah. And like I said before, you know, I've listened to a couple of your podcasts. You know, maybe this coming weekend might be another good one when it's going to be wet and cold and there's nothing worth watching on telly. <laughs> Sit down and listen, listen to Ferg chat listen for to half the subtle tones of Ferg. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, awesome. So yeah, no big, uh, big supporter of ag, and obviously it's interesting times in in farming in New Zealand. There's a few people out and about today. To, uh, yeah, we've had the big um, protest right around the country, and it's been good because you know I got uh, the rules and regulations sent through to us, being a farmer plus slash media, and I believe. Everyone that protested or showed uh, their support, it didn't have to be a farmer. There were utes, there were tractors, there were supporters. Even my 85-year-old mother in Rangura said she went out for a second COVID jab this morning and had to join the queue to get into Rangura behind the tractors. And then when she got to the chemist where they're getting the jab, she sat there and watched the protest go past. She thought it was, you know, thumbs up to them. So I think the support's been out there. The only idiots that I've heard about were some um, environmentalists wanting to lie down in front of the tractors so they couldn't get into the centre of Christchurch. As you know, Ferg, and all your Australian and New Zealand listeners will know, the tractors these days, a human body wouldn't even be a speed bump. <laughs> no, it's not a very smart place to be, you know, the tractor around. But it was good for good causes. And um, the rules and regulations we're being thrown onto us as farmers, I know the different um, processes, whether it be like New Zealand Merino with their regenerative Z, uh, ZQX RX system. Uh, Silfern Farms came out the other day with um, their regenerative slope on it. We had uh, Farm IQ on our program today. And it's not a regenerative farming is no one aspect. Each farmer and each person's different. And as I gave him an example, when my father 50 odd years ago put down a new swath of pasture, he put numerous variety of uh, cultivars in there and they called them companion species. Hell, that, I think they're doing that day, but these days they put a sunflower in there to make it look the part. You know, I think if you look after your soil, you'll grow good crops which will feed your animals, which will in turn uh, reward you with good produce. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think, uh, yeah, a few speed bumps obviously, but generally the pastoral sector's looking good. The, the commodity price has been great. The, had a bit of a rough start to Canterbury season, but um, a bit of a bit of grass around now. So, Oh, there is. You know, uh, clips are coming off good. Lambs, dare I say it, have hit the 200 mark and going upwards. Um, you know, beef is slowly on the way up, whether that's because the Argentinians have been banned from exporting it. But, you know, 
Aussie, I know, is trying to restock still. Gangbusters and, um, there. It's about to hit 10 bucks, I think. The, the old mate Stu Hodgson said what he, he he refers those shedders as something else. But didn't they, a, a, a small line of 65 or 85 or something, make something like $800 a head? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So there's some yeah, amazing prices around it. But it is a... I just love being involved in the pastoral agriculture sector at the moment. It's just a buoyant place to be. I mean, I've always loved it, but it's, yeah, no, apart from a few small things, it's, uh, we're, we're going really well. Mm. Uh, last time I was out at your farm, Lowy, there was a big, tall crop of maize. What was that all about? Yeah, to, that was uh, sort of a, I'd grown maize under irrigation down on one of my lease blocks and, and got a fairly good crop around the 22 to 23 tonne hectare. And, you know, that's good. But um, through Pioneer, Mainland Minerals and Hazlitt and Tags Engineering, which developed the um, direct drill, we put a bit of a paddock. I gave them the paddock. They did their thing in it, and we sprayed it off. It had oats in it. We sprayed it off, and um, Tags Engineering direct drilled the maize, the forage maize into it, and then um, Hazlitt did the uh, chemical side, the, the post-emergence, and Mainland Minerals put the whatever they thought they needed on it, and maize, uh, the maize was supplied by Pioneer, and they just monitored, had field days, etc. but it bolted. You yeah, know, it was a pretty it, massive it crop. It was right? over the top of the deer fence, and I had five hectares, and I thought, oh, I'll strip graze it to the old Santas and their calves, and they did milk really well, of course, and did very well. Got halfway through it, and I thought, geez, I need to get the winter feed into here. So I actually chopped about um, two hectares of it and ended up with a, a bun of about, oh, the contractor reckoned he took mid-80s tonne off it, put it in this bun, which I, I now strip grazing to the Santa cows that they're doing again. And, you know, it's just as a bulk feed of good nutrition, it's ideal for this time Mm. of year or any time of the year, really. And it just shows if you get your soil health in gear, even on dry land, you can grow a good crop. Yeah, perfect. Um, I guess we're getting close to summing it up, but where can people find the radio station? We didn't – I'll put Uh, it in the show notes. It's um, one of the MediaWorks channels on – Radio Live, but for anyone listening in the rural or even Australia, if they want to have a listen, go to Rover, R-O-V-A, type in rural, and it will come up rural today or rural exchange. Rural today is a program that our uh, colleague does uh, five to six each um, weekday morning, and Hamish and I do rural exchange in the weekend from six to eight, but as I said on Rover, you can listen to it anytime. Yep, oh, perfect. Thanks very much, Rowie. It's been awesome to have a chat, and thanks very much for these awesome facilities. We don't get to do any podcasts in, in places like this, but yeah, awesome. Thanks, and we'll cheers anytime. Thanks, Ferg. Thanks, Rowie. Cheers, mate. Thanks for listening to this episode. I really hope you've enjoyed it. Head Shepherd is produced by the talented Sophie Barnes. Thanks again to Allflex for their ongoing support and their sponsorship of season four. The team at Allflex couldn't be more helpful and we really enjoy our long-term association with them.